Attention freelancers and solopreneurs. Freelancers and solopreneurs. You are tuning into The Remote CEO, a show that will help you scale your business, become the authority in your market, grow into a better leader, and create your remote empire. And now, your host, acclaimed business coach and entrepreneur, Denier. What's going on, CEOs? This is Deniero B, and you are listening to the Saturday interview episode of the Remote CEO Show. I always make sure to have the most interesting guests and ask them practical and actionable questions so that you can take that knowledge and scale your business with it. So if you do enjoy this podcast, I would love for you to leave a review on your podcast app. It only takes a couple of minutes and it will make a big difference. Now, don't forget that we do release the five-minute episodes every single day at around 6 a.m. Eastern time. So subscribe to the show and you will get bite-sized actionable content delivered for free to your device. Also, share this podcast with other fellow entrepreneurs, freelancers, and solopreneurs. You're on the rise, so it only makes sense that you share this journey with like-minded people. And don't forget that the more you talk about these topics with other people, the more you will understand them and make them part of your everyday life. And now, let's get started. What is going on, CEOs? Daniel will be here with another episode of the Remote CEO Show. Today, I'm here with Nir Eyal. Nir is a legend, first off. He's the author of two Wall Street Journal and national bestsellers, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. He was dubbed the prophet of habit-forming technology by the MIT Technology Review, and he has consulted countless companies. Nir also founded two tech companies since 2003. He has taught at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Hassel-Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford. His writing on technology, psychology, and business appears in the Harvard Business Review, The Atlantic, TechCrunch, Psychology Today, and many more. I'm absolutely humbled to have him on the show. So Nir, how are you today? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being on the show, Nir. I can't wait to get into the questions, but before we dive in, can you tell us a bit more about your background and how you started your career? Sure. So I'm what you call a behavioral designer. So I help companies build the kind of products and services that uh, form healthy habits in users' lives. So uh, if you think about how a fitness app uh, gets people into the habit of exercise or an education app gets people into the habit of learning or uh, when it comes to a personal finance product or even enterprise software, right? So many businesses depend upon people using their product out of habit or they go out of business. And so my specialty is how do we design products and services, particularly those that are connected through the internet in some way. I don't really work in, in industries that aren't somehow connected to the internet. Uh, although these days, geez, every business is, is an internet company. Yeah, for sure. uh, so I, I work on, on how to change human behavior and build healthy habits in our lives through the products we use. And then uh, more recently, my second book was about how do we break the bad habits that sometimes we find ourselves overusing. Of course, of course. So you've mainly worked in the video game and advertising industry. At what point in your career did you decide that you had to write your first book, Hooked, and what prompted you to choose that exact topic? 
Yeah, so for me, it was really, I was looking for a guidebook that I couldn't find. I, uh, I was working in the industry and I had these clients in the video gaming industry and the advertising industry. And I was fascinated by how so many of them were able to change user behavior. I also started my last company uh, while Facebook was getting its stride. And I had these examples of you know, companies uh, that I had a front row seat. I knew many of the people who worked at these companies and helped build them at, uh, at Slack and Instagram and WhatsApp and um, uh, Salesforce and GitHub. And you know, I wanted to see what was it about these companies that enabled them to change behavior and create these habits uh, that affect the lives of billions of people. And I, what I wanted to do was to kind of learn their secrets to democratize these techniques so that it's not just the video gaming companies and the social media networks that can do it. My idea was what if every company could use the same exact techniques to build good habits in users' lives? How amazing would that be for the bottom line if we didn't have to spend all that money on advertising and spammy messages to bring people back? What if people used your product and service because they wanted to, not because they had to. Uh, just the way they use Facebook or Netflix or YouTube and Google, all these products habitually with little or no conscious thought. What if we could use the same techniques to help people build healthy habits in their lives uh, with all sorts of products? And so when I was looking for, okay, well, how do I build a, how, how do I build a habit forming product? I couldn't find that book. And so I decided <laughs> to write it. Uh, and that, so that's why it's called Hooked, How to Build Habit Forming Products is the title of the book. And, um, yeah, so I really wrote it for me more than anyone. I thought I was going to build another company, but uh, I started writing about this topic and researching this topic and spending a lot of time at the Stanford Library where I went for business school. And then I got an email a few years into my writing uh, from an old college, uh, old professor from mine at Stanford who said, you know, I really like your work. Your framework is really interesting. Come on over and let's teach a class together. And so that turned into many years of teaching at Stanford, the business school, and then I moved over to the design school. And uh, in the process, I picked up many clients and, and uh, uh, you know, wrote, wrote down the, the years of experience that I had in this field into the book that I was ultimately looking for. And that was published in 2014. Awesome. Super, super cool. So in several of your speeches and in your books, you mentioned the fact that technology makes us create new habits. So why does that happen? And what is the difference between a seemingly fun new analog toy, like, I don't know, like a board game and Instagram or other software? Yeah. So uh, it's not necessarily that it's technology versus analog per se. Lots of analog pro products can build habits as well. It's just that there's some, some special attributes to interactive products that make them easier to change human behavior and, and habits. One is that they're ubiquitous, right? We carry these devices with us all the time, as opposed to offline habits. It's very, you know, sometimes you, you can't form a habit with something if you can't access it. So the fact that we're always with these devices, so they're more prevalent. Uh, they're, and so, uh, and they're also designed to be more persuasive. And so that's, that's where these techniques that I described in the book uh, come into play. Um, one particular element that I think is really revolutionary in the history of business is that in order for a product to adapt to a consumer, before interactive technologies, this was a very hard thing to do. It was very expensive, right? Henry Ford is credited with saying, that you could have any color of Model T as long as it's black. Now he said that because to retool his factory was really tough, right? So if you wanted a, a blue car and somebody else wanted a red car, that was a lot of work, right? It took many, yes. many years for the automotive industry to make 
cars in various colors. It actually was a lot of work. It took decades. Uh, today, the difference is that, that companies can manufacture products for markets of one, meaning they can tailor a product to an individual user. And they do this through what I call investment. And the investment phase accrues what's called stored value. So stored value is when a product gets better with use. So the more you use it, it mm -hmm. appreciates. Now that's very different from a product that's an offline product that depreciates, loses value. So things made of atoms as opposed to bits, the more we use them, the more wear and tear, the less they are worth, right? They depreciate in value. Mm -hmm. But habit-forming products, they do the opposite. They appreciate in value. They get better and better the more we use them because we input data, content, we accrue a reputation. Uh, and so all of these things that we do that store value in the product make them better and better and better. So if you were to log in to my Facebook account or my Pinterest account uh, or my Reddit account, it wouldn't be interesting to you because it's been yeah, tailored sure. just to me based on the data I've given those companies. And that's actually something that I think every company will do and has to do in the future. Uh, any company that interacts with customers, you know, if you are not customizing the, the, the experience with your user in a way that personalizes it for them in some way, and this happens offline too. Let me give you a good example of an offline product. Uh, when I get my hair cut, I go to the same barber every time. Now, why? Yes. Is he the best barber? Eh, I don't really know. I don't really care. Why? Because I formed a habit of every time I get my hair cut, I go to him. Now, I know he'll do a semi-decent job, but you know why I really go to him? Because he knows how I want my hair cut. Because he remembers from last time. And many times when I, you know, other barbers who I've stopped going to, I'd have to explain how I want my hair cut and tell them how to do it and show them a picture. This guy knows. He remembers me. He remembers my daughter's name. He remembers what I do for a living. He remembers my name. And that matters because I've invested data in that relationship. And I'm happy for him to use that data to make the experience better for me. Businesses can do this too, right? In yeah. small ways, right? As opposed to restarting the relationship every single time a, a customer interacts with you, find ways to get them to invest in the product by giving you data, which improves the product or the service with use. Perfect. Perfect. Listen, when we think about getting hooked on technology, some people may think about social media addiction and other similar habits, but there are a lot of positive ways that technology can impact us. Can you share with us a couple of examples of technologies that are shaping our society for the better and what we as entrepreneurs can learn from them? Well, look, I would even say that social media is, is, uh, can be a very good habit. Addiction, you know, addiction gets tossed around way too much these days. Everybody thinks that they're addicted to everything, and it's, it's stupid. Uh, addiction is a pathology, right? You cannot compare Facebook with injecting heroin. Give me a break. Mm -hmm. And these studies that people think they understand that it lights up the same parts of the brain chemicals, it's all bullshit. It's not true. <laughs> Uh, some people get addicted to all sorts of things. Think about alcohol. Is alcohol addictive? Highly addictive. But does that mean who everybody who has a glass of wine with dinner is, is addicted to alcohol? Of course not. It's about how you use it. Do we want to go back to prohibition and, and limit, you know, to say that alcohol is illegal? No, that's dumb. Alcohol is wonderful and we should enjoy it. It's about how we use it. And, you know, especially now when so many of us are, are confined to our homes, thank God for social media, <laughs> I mean, sure. what the hell would we be doing all day if it weren't connecting with people we like uh, online? Uh, I'd much rather have people interacting with each other, 
you know, on Facebook than, you know, watching the television mindlessly, oh gosh, aimlessly yeah. watching. Uh, so we need to be careful about, you know, placing judgment on what some people do. Why is watching a football game somehow morally superior to, uh, to checking out Facebook or playing a, a video game? So it's not about the activity we do, it's why we do it. Are we doing it to escape our pain? Are we doing it to escape a reality that we can't cope with, in which case it's likely a harmful distraction? Or is it something that we do with intent? And if we do it with intent, remember the time we plan to waste is not wasted time. So there's nothing wrong with saying, look, I'm gonna go on Facebook, I'm gonna go watch YouTube videos, I'm gonna enjoy a Netflix movie, that's wonderful, there's nothing wrong with it, as long as you do it on your schedule, not the tech company schedule. For sure. For sure. So it's 2020 and it seems that the attention span of the average person has dropped drastically. So now more than ever, we need to reclaim this important asset and become indestructible. So why should people focus on developing this superpower over other traits nowadays? Well, let me take issue with the first thing you said, (laughs) (laughs) because it's also not backed by any kind of science. Attention spans are not dropping. Uh, people's, people's bar is rising. Okay. So if, you know, people say, oh, my kid can't pay attention. She can't do this. They can't do that. Yeah. But have you noticed what her attention span looks like when she plays a video game or reads an actually good, interesting book, as opposed to a boring book, their attention spans are amazing. So our, our, it's not that our attention spans have gone down. It's that our bar has gone up. The quality of content has improved. This is the golden age of entertainment. There's so many interesting things in the world that, that we, we want to pay attention to, but when we want to pay attention to them, we're able to. So it's not that our attention spans are declining. That's not true. Uh, it's that the world has become better that we want, when we want that to happen, we want content to get better. That's not a problem. That's progress. Now, the cost of living in a world with so many interesting things in it is that, you know what? We need to adopt this new skill of, of understanding how to use this technology in a way that serves us as opposed to us serving it. You know, it's like saying, um, uh, you're in Italy right now, right? So I have a problem with you Italians. You make too much delicious food, right? Every time I go to Italy, I can't stop eating. It's so delicious, right? Like the, between the cannolis and the pasta and the, and the cappuccinos, everything is so delicious. Now, am I gonna blame the Italians for making such delicious food? That's stupid. <laughs> Thank God that you created so many delicious things for me to eat. That makes my life more enjoyable. It's up to me to decide how to partake in these things in a responsible manner. And so the way we, we do this is by deciding for ourselves what is distraction and what is traction for us in our lives? And this is a very important distinction. The opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction, if you look at the origin of the word, the opposite of distraction is traction. Traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do in life. The opposite of that is distraction, any action that pulls you away from what you plan to do. And so it's up to us to decide as individuals what our values are. And anything it is that you want to do with your time and your attention in your life is fine with me. I don't care. But is it fine with you? Are you spending your life in a way that is in accordance to your values, living the way you want to spend your time and spend your life? Or is it based on what you're doing to escape emotional discomfort? And this is the source of all distraction. It's not the pings and dings. We always blame the things around us, right? We blame the, 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 phone, we blame Facebook, we blame the cannoli. 
but we don't understand that distraction starts from within. Why? Because all distraction is, is, is an escape from discomfort. It's always an escape from a feeling that we don't know how to cope with, whether it's boredom, loneliness, fatigue, stress, anxiety, uncertainty. There's always a feeling that makes us partake in too much booze, too much news, too much football, too much Facebook, doesn't matter. It's all about first and foremost, mastering these internal triggers. And if we keep lying to ourselves and blaming stuff outside of us, we will never overcome distraction. So that's the first step to becoming indistractable, mastering the internal triggers. And the reason this is so important is because there is no aspect of your life that doesn't rely upon you doing what you said you're going to do. Right? In my life, right? I didn't write this book because I have amazing willpower and self-control, quite the opposite. I wrote this book because I was struggling with distraction. I needed an answer. I would say I was going to work out and I didn't. I would say I was going to eat right and I wouldn't. I would say I was going to work on that big project and yet I'd procrastinate. I would say I was going to be with my daughter and yet I'd check my phone instead. And I was sick of it because I knew what to do and yet I wasn't doing it. And so there's no aspect of your life that doesn't improve uh, and that doesn't rely upon you deciding how you want to spend your time and attention and focus. That's amazing. Here at the Remote CEO, our listeners are freelancers and entrepreneurs. They're building remote teams, so they do need to use technology all day, every day. So can you tell our listeners a couple of uh, practical tips that they can use to balance technology usage while remaining productive? Yeah, so this is, this is, this is exactly why I wrote this book, is because... You know, we hear from people who say, oh, just stop using technology, stop using social media, go on a digital detox, stop using email. And it's typically some professor who doesn't even have a social media account telling us to stop using these tools. That's ridiculous. That's so elitist because many of us, we would get fired if we stopped using these tools or we'd go out of business if we didn't use these technologies. So the idea is to not stop using them. It's to use them in a way that doesn't distract us. Remember the difference between traction, actions you want to take, and distractions, things that pull you away from what you want to do. So the first step is mastering the internal triggers. That has to be the first step. And so what I do in the book is that I give you very concrete tools to use so that when you feel that discomfort, you know exactly what to do so that you don't run away into distraction. And I just want to say real quick, you know, I've been a CEO twice, and the worst type of distraction, it's not the Facebook, it's not YouTube, it's the kind of distractions that you don't realize are distractions. It's when you sit down at your desk and you say, oh, I need to work on that big RFP or I need to make those sales calls or I need to work on that big project. I need to run those numbers. But um, let me just check email real quick, mm. right? Let me just check that Slack channel. Let me just do that one thing on my to-do list. And if it's not what you plan to do with your time, it is a worse distraction than playing a video game because you've allowed it to trick you into prioritizing the urgent at the expense of the important. And that is cancer for our productivity, well-being, and happiness. And so it's really about being intentional in advance with what you will do when you feel that discomfort. Do you have tools to make sure that they lead you to traction rather than distraction? So that's step one. Step two is to kill your to-do list. To-do lists are harming you. Let me ask, do you use a to-do list by chance? I don't want to put you on the spot because we're doing no, this No, actually, no, no, it's fine. I, I have a calendar where I have like my slots because I did read your book and I have Oh, you already my, read the book. The, okay. Yeah. You're ahead. I, I have it. I have um, basically 6.30 wake up and everything. Right, and I do good. push, uh, but 
<laughs> so you're already doing what I advise. For most people, when I ask them this question of whether they keep a to-do list, if they do keep a to-do list, then my next question is, when was the last time you didn't do everything on your to-do list? For those yeah. of you listening, ask yourself, when was the last time, if you keep a to-do list, when was the last time you didn't finish everything on your to-do list? A hundred percent of the people tell me today and yesterday and the day before that and probably the day before that. And so why do we keep doing a technique that doesn't work? Because some guru told you to in a book about why to-do lists are the savior for your productivity. It's not true because to-do lists are a list of output. But if you yes. want output, you need input. Well, what's our input, right? As CEOs, as entrepreneurs, what's our input? Two things, time and attention. That's it. Yes. So if you want output, you need input. And so you have to keep a time box calendar. This is incredibly important, particularly if you run a company, because if you don't plan your day, somebody's going to plan it for you. Your employees, your customers, uh, whatever's happening on Twitter, uh, email, Slack, something is going to decide for you how to spend your time unless in advance you decide how you're going to spend it. And so that's where this technique that you're using, that's wonderful, mm -hmm. called time boxing comes in, where you plan in advance how you want to spend your time. And I'm talking down to the minute. Now, this might seem extreme. People say, oh, I don't know if I can do that. You, that if you feel tension right now, if you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's against the way I am. It's not the way I operate. I need time for creativity. What you're feeling is the fear of having to do the work. Yes. And that's, I know this is hard truth to understand, but that's the real thing you're feeling right now. Because you're scared that if you put it on your calendar, you may actually have to do the hard work. But here's the thing, you and I both know that to succeed, you have to do the hard work. Yes. And if you don't make that time to do the hard work, you will fail. Your competition will beat you because they are willing to do the hard work. And so we have to face this fact, put time in our calendar, both for the reflective work, right? Every CEO I know has reflective work. I mean, sorry, the reactive work. The reactive work yeah. is the responsive stuff, responding to emails, responding to phone calls, responding to, to customers. I get it. You need that time on your calendar. And it's probably going to be most of your day. But do you have time for reflective work? Let me tell you a secret to beat the competition. Mm -hmm. Spend time thinking. Because most people don't think. They act, they do all day long, but they're doing the wrong stuff because they haven't thought, am I supposed to be doing this versus that? They're just on autopilot, acting, 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 right? Phone calls, emails, Slack channels. That's what they're responding to all day long. But running real fast in the wrong direction is still a bad idea. <laughs> exactly. 100%. And if you don't reserve that time in your schedule to think, to ask yourself, where am I going? What am I doing? Is the right, this the right thing to be working on? Where's my company headed? Right? That time to strategize without interruption. And we know, study after study have told, has told us that our work output, particularly in creative tasks, dramatically degrades when we are interrupted. It takes us a long time to get back to thinking when our focus is, is interrupted. So it's imperative you schedule that time to think in your day. So that's a very, very practical tip. This is the tip of the iceberg. I know we're running short on time. But I'll just walk through the, the four That's main fine. steps. That's fine, yeah, go ahead. The is mastering the internal triggers. The second step is making time for traction, which is all about time boxing and coordinating, by the way, with the various stakeholders in your life, your, your wife, your husband, your boss, your employees, doing what's called a schedule sync. And I teach you exactly how to do this in the book, a schedule sync with the important people in your life. The third step 
is called hacking back external triggers. So this is where we talk about email and meetings. Oh my God, how much time do we waste in meetings, right? And what a distraction they can be. Uh, what about uh, group chat channels? And uh, you know, many of us have to work from home these days. How do we fight distraction when our kids are bothering us? So I'll tell you the secret to overcoming all that stuff by hacking back the external triggers. That's all in that third step. And then the fourth step is about preventing distraction with PACT. And this is where I share with you various technologies that we can use as a last resort, as the firewall to prevent us from getting distracted. Mm -hmm. Wow, super, super interesting. And honestly, I wanted to talk about, if we have a minute right now, about the difference between external triggers and internal triggers, um, because you were talking about that distraction as also a lot of internal triggers. So can you just elaborate a quick bit on that? Yeah, so the external triggers are the things outside of us, the pings, the dings, the rings, anything in our outside environment that can lead us towards traction or distraction. They're not necessarily good or bad. If my phone rings and it says, oh, now it's time for that meeting, now it's time for the phone call, now it's time to go exercise, well, that is serving me because that's what's on my schedule, right? Now that external trigger is leading towards traction. But if I'm in a business meeting, and my phone rings when I'm trying to have a conversation with a colleague or an employee, well, now it's leading me towards distraction because that's not what I plan to do. So the question is not, you know, is technology good? Is it bad? Is it addictive? Is it hijacking our brains? No, that's not the right question. The right question is, is the trigger serving me or am I serving it? And if it is not serving me, I need to get rid of it. So two thirds of with people with a smartphone never change their notification settings. They just let every beep and boop on their phone constantly distract them. Are you kidding me? We cannot call technology distracting if we haven't even taken five goddamn minutes to turn off the stupid notifications for God's sakes, <laughs> right? It takes no time. And so we, we, that's, that's kindergarten, that's baby stuff. You don't need a book to tell you to do that. But there's a lot of other things that people do that they don't realize how harmful the external triggers can be. You know, the number one source of distraction in the modern workplace is not our computers, it's not our phones. 80% of survey respondents say the number one source of distraction is other people. People coming by your desk and saying, oh, can I just talk to you for a quick minute? Or I just, did you hear that bit of office gossip? I just wanna tell you this one quick thing. That is the number one source of distraction. So what do we do in the modern workplace when we get back to work? I know many of us are working from home. What happens when we work in these open floor plan offices that are swimming in distraction. And so we have to hack back those external triggers as well. Same goes for when we work from home, our kids, you know, many of us are at home with our kids trying to work. What do you do when your kid is interrupting you? That is also an external trigger. Uh, so there's many techniques that we can, we can use to prevent getting distracted from those external triggers as opposed to internal triggers. These are triggers that come from within, right? It's the desire to escape an uncomfortable feeling, boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, stress, anxiety. That feeling is the reason we're trying to escape. And that actually is the number one source of distraction. It's what's going on inside of us that we don't know how to deal with in a healthy way. Makes total sense. Listen, let's talk about future projects. What are you working on right now? Can you get us excited? Well, right now I'm just trying to tell the world how to be indistractable. That's my main goal okay, right now. Perfect, I, I really yeah. think this should be a, a, a new identity. I want people to say that they are indistractable the same way that someone would say I'm a vegetarian or uh, I'm an Italian, right? I want them to say, <laughs> no, I am indistractable. I don't let other people decide for me how to spend my time and attention in my life. I decide for myself, I am indistractable. So that's, that's the only thing I'm working on right now. I'm, I'm working on a video course 
uh, that will come out soon. But mostly I'm just trying to get the word out about these, uh, these techniques that really do work. They've changed my life and I, I think they can change the lives of many, many people. Awesome. That's great. Listen, thank you so much for this inspiring conversation. I know the listeners will want to grab a copy of your, both your books if they don't have them already. So where can people find you and read more about you? Sure. So my website is nearandfar.com. Near is spelt like my first name. So that's N-I-R and far.com, nearandfar.com. And uh, the book is called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. My first book was called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. And as a special offer, I want to let you know, if you buy Indistractable, it doesn't matter where you get it. You can get it on Amazon or Audible or wherever you buy books, offline, online, doesn't matter. Make sure that you keep your order number. If you enter in your order number at indistractable.com, there is an, uh, a complimentary video course that you can get right now. It's a mini course that you can get that's a great complement to the book as well as an 80-page workbook that's also free. And all that's at indistractable.com. Awesome. Nir, thank you so much for being here today. And I am looking forward to having you back on the show in the future. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. And this is it for today, CEOs. Thanks for staying with us until the end. Can I ask you a big favor? Can you please leave a review? I know the podcast app is not super straightforward. So if you don't know how to leave a review, just DM me on Instagram at B. D-E-N-I-E-R-O-B and I will send you the direct link to the review section and to show you my appreciation, I will answer any business question you ask me during that conversation. So thank you again and I will talk to you again soon.